Good morning, everybody. It's great to see you. Um, there are two types of people in this world. Uh, there are those that like musical theatre, and there are those that just frankly don't. Um, I happen to fall into the first category, I quite like musical theatre. And uh, one of my favourite musicals is a musical called Jesus Christ Superstar by Andrew Lloyd Webber, um, which if you're quite uh, religious, you might find a little bit offensive, because it kind of, you know, back in the 70s. But I happen to personally love it, and uh, I love the way they dramatise the story. And there's a, there's a part of Jesus Christ Superstar which I was super tempted to play, but it would just take too long, um, because it's all brilliant. But the, the part where Jesus is in front of Pilate, um, and it's the sort of the trial before Pilate, and he has he has two. It's, it's taken from the Bible, so Angelo isn't making it up. It's it's all a story that's in the Bible. But um, he has two goes at him. The first time, Pilate, they say, Pilate, will you sort him out? And uh, he sends him back to Herod. The second time, they have this big debate about what is truth and what is truth. And Pilate says, I don't know. I don't really see any grounds to kill you. Um, and yet all of these people are telling me I should crucify you. And uh, he says, I'll tell you what, to keep them happy, I'll have you flogged. So he has Jesus whipped and flogged um, 39 times to within his life. And then there's this bit where they have this dialogue and Jesus is kind of like, like this. And Pilate says, so who are you? Know, come on, say who you are. I, they're all saying you're the son of God. Are you the son of God? And Jesus is saying, well, that's what you say I am. And he's not really speaking. And there's this bit and Pilate is almost holding Jesus in his hands. And um, he says, uh, he says, don't you realize that I have the power to either kill you or keep you alive? Don't you realize that I have your life in my hands? The power of, is in my hands. And Jesus' response, which if you've read the story in the Bible, you'll know is, you don't have the power. Any power you have comes to you from God. And if we had more time, I'd perform it for you, but I'm not going to do that. Um, but it's just very dramatic, the way he says it. Any power you have comes to you from far beyond. Everything is fixed and you can't change it. Anyway, um, you, can, you can look it up on YouTube if you want. Today is, um, that kind of sums up where we want to go today, because today is the last talk in our series, Money, Sex and Power. Walking with Jesus through all these incredible, these gifts, money, sex and power, which are all incredibly have the most incredible blessing the potential for blessing if we get them right and yet also have the most incredible potential for pain and abuse if we get them wrong and uh, we've moved on to the power part and today is the last week um, talking about power I'm just following on from Joe's uh, talk last Sunday and Joe defined power as this you might think power that's a funny word for us to be talking about I don't feel like I have power it feels like a sort of Harry Potter you know spell thing it's not about that let's talk about here here's the definition it's the capacity to get what you want or pursue what you value or another definition here is the ability to direct or influence the behaviour of others or the course of events. If you are able to influence anybody, then you have power. Okay? So you might want to hear, you, when you hear the word power, you might also want to think about the word authority. You might want to also think about the word influence. I'm going to kind of interchange them today. And as Joe showed us last week, any power we have comes from God. We've just sung about it this morning. What a powerful name. The powerful name of Jesus. And any power or influence or authority that we do have comes from God, is for the benefit of others, and ultimately is to give glory back to God. I spoke about Jesus and Pilate already. Um, Any power you have, Jesus says, comes to you from on high. 
And as Joe showed us, Jesus' take on power was radically different to most of the culture around him. And if we're honest, most of the culture around us. You see, Jesus said, as Joe reminded us last week, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. Deny themselves. It's not about us and what we can achieve and what we can do and our success and everybody looking to us. It's about him. And Jesus really subverted the ideas of the age. You know, he also said, anyone, anyone who wants to be the first must be the very last. The servant of all. And Jesus was, this, was the master of this. He took what the culture said about power and he switched it on its head. And he calls us to do the same. You know, in our culture, you know, we talk about wealth and success as kind of keys to getting on. If you want more power and influence, you know, get a better job, get more money, get more possessions. You know, really focus on the lifestyle you want. What about housing? I mean, you only have to look around you at the news in the last few weeks. These tragic events around this tower, this fire in London, to see the difference between those who are perceived to have power and choice and those who don't seem to have much. It's right there in your faces in the news every day at the minute in terms of the housing situations that people find themselves up in, and how it is that those who seem to have power perhaps aren't necessarily using it for the best way. Now, if we're using our God-given power and authority in the right ways, there is going to be evidence in our lives. And today what I want to do is explore a little bit about what that looks like, and I want to look at seven signs of spiritual power. I'll explain what I mean by that in just a minute. But this is, if you like... For me, this is what holding power looks like. This is what exercising authority and influence in a godly way looks like. Okay? And there are seven signs there, as you can see. Love and humility, self-limitation, joy, vulnerability, submission and freedom. I'm going to take just two or three minutes to talk about each one of those in just a second. I'm going to give you some biblical evidence and some other stories. But this isn't just going to be a bunch of information. And I have kind of, on one side of the sheet that I've given you, I have written out a summary of what I'm going to say. Um, But I I want this to be a practical outworking as well. And so before I get into that, I also just want to briefly touch on and consider the different contexts of our lives in which any power, authority, or influence we have is exercised. So I've listed about seven contexts here. And it may be that some of these relate to you. Maybe all of them relate to you. Maybe at least some of them will. You know, as an individual, any power that we have is to promote self-control and not self-indulgence. In our home or our family, any power we might have, any influence we have, is to nurture confidence and not to force subservience. You know, in our workplaces... Any power, authority or influence we have is to facilitate competence and not to promote inadequacy. In a school, power is to cultivate growth, not to reinforce inferiority. Can you see where I'm getting at? In a church, power is there to inspire faith and not conformity. In a marriage, power is there to enhance communication and not isolation. And in a community, power is to bring about hope and life. And so what I've done is, um, forgive me, it's the teacher in me, to help us process this a bit, I've made us a chart. Now some people just don't like boxes. If you're not a box person, don't worry about it. Just, just humour me. Um, but what I want us to do is I want, about, think us, I want us to think about the, three, the key contexts of our lives. 
Now, if you've got a pen with you, you might want to make notes as we go. I've allowed space for three there, um, but you could do this for all seven if, if they apply to you. What is the most obvious, in-your-face context in which you have influence? Is it as a mum or a dad in your family? Is it in your workspace? Is it in your marriage or is it in the church or in community? Anyway, just as we're going through, I would encourage you just to jot that down in the top bit. And then just anything that comes to you, any ideas you have, anything I might say that might be relevant, just might go in one of those boxes. And even if you don't get a chance to look at this now or fill it in now, it's maybe something to take home and really think about. There are questions in each one. I'm just going to pray that what, as we do this, God inspires us and speaks to us. Is that okay? Because I really believe that this is an important thing. So Father God, thank you. You're already here. We've already experienced your incredible presence. We've already known a touch of your power with us here this morning. And Lord, as those who are called to carry power and influence in this world, I pray that you would show us how to do that the best. What these signs are, Lord, and how they show up in our lives and how you want to challenge us. Holy Spirit, we just lay open our minds and our wills to your voice and to your encouragement, to your leadership and to your challenge. In Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so I'm going to hit through these, uh, work through these signs of spiritual power. And as I said, just jot down anything that comes to you with regard to your own context. Uh, now, uh, there are the contexts. We've talked about that. Um, the first one is love. The first sign that someone's got the power going on in them is love or power for the good of others. You know, power without love can be a really, really dangerous thing. You know, we can see, excuse me, in the world all around us, we can see what happens when people who have power exercise it without love. Paul actually warns about it in 1 Corinthians 13, this really famous passage. He says, if I speak in the tongues of men or of angels but don't have love, I'm just a resounding gong or a clanging symbol. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge and faith that can move mountains but have not love, then I am nothing. Love for others has to be a key motivation behind the use of any authority or power or influence we may have. And Jesus led by example in this. You know, he used his power to affect the lives of those who were struggling, to heal the sick, the blind, make the blind see and the lame walk and the deaf hear. You know, they all came to him. They all came to him because he had a reputation, because they knew that he wasn't doing this for himself. You know, in Luke 19, it says, all the people tried to, sorry, Luke 6, 19, all the people tried to touch him because power was coming out from him and healing them all. People flocked around him. They wanted to be near him because he had power and because it was really clear to them that he was acting from a heart of genuine compassion and love. Love for people. Jesus wasn't doing this to meet some kind of need in him. He was doing it from a place of knowing his identity in God. Knowing he was deeply loved by the Father. And that any ministry he had flowed from that place of intimacy and love and security. And so whatever context God has placed you in, if it's your home, family, work, any church responsibilities you have, any influence you have needs to be exercised from a place of love of being secure in our identity, of knowing who God has called us to be. Now, love doesn't always say yes to every demand. Those of you who are parents, you know that. 
It's not always the most loving thing to say yes to everything. Sometimes it means looking beyond what the person is presenting as or saying to the bigger picture and saying something like this, I know you can't see this, but honestly, me saying no is the most loving thing I could do right now. Even though that hates, that you hate that and it upsets you, you're going to have to trust me that I do actually love you. And that's the basis for this decision. Sometimes love is tough, but it's love. I sometimes say to my kids, we, we sometimes say to our kids, the thing is we love you too much to let you continue with this pattern of behaviour. You know? But the truth is we can only give love when we know love. Don't we? So if you're in a position of authority or influence and you don't know the love of the Father, then that can potentially be a dangerous thing. Who's heard this? Have you heard this expression before? Hurt people hurt people. Have you heard that before? The people who cause the most hurt have been hurt the most. Well, if it's true that hurt people hurt people, surely then loved people love people. Heard a story about a guy called Remco. He's a, actually, I've met him a couple of times. He's a Dutch guy, and uh, he's part of the vineyard in Holland. But uh, he's been there for years, been part of the vineyard, various vineyards in Netherlands. Netherlands. Um, but for his day job, he works for IKEA. And um, he's kind of been part of the IKEA sort of management team for a long time, both in Holland and in Sweden. And uh, he told us this story um, about how he was asked by his company, IKEA, to take over the management of a really, really poorly performing IKEA store uh, somewhere in Sweden. Um, And he went in there, and, you know, all the numbers were down, and all the staff morale was just really rock bottom, and the place was horrible. And uh, he said he went in, and being being a believer, and being a kingdom kind of guy, being a scattered servant, Remco just sort of sat there and thought, well... What do I do now? And he prayed, and he just felt like the Lord said, "Just, just you know." He went in there as a manager, to, to, as, as the store manager. He said, "Just start to love people." So literally, that's what he did. He just brought kingdom values. He started to speak to the staff, just literally asking them their names, finding out a bit about them, taking time with them, trying to show them some love, valuing people, building community, building kingdom culture. What do you think happened? Numbers went up through the roof. One of the highest performing stores in Sweden now. Just because he exercised the power and authority he had with the love of God that he knew. So what is the context for your influence or power? What is your authority context? Is it family? Is it work? Is it your kids? Is it your community? And how are we showing love there? How are we exercising our influence for the good of others? Another of the signs is humility or power under control. You know, with power and influence is always potential danger and power without humility, well, it just looks like arrogance. And it can be so easy for us to go, for the power to go to our heads. You know, I sometimes take my kids to um, various different gigs and we watch all these artists and, um, you know, they're all younger than me, (laughs) most of them these days. Apart from you too, who we're going to see next week. They're older than me. But anyway, most of the people my kids want to go and see are younger than me. And I, we watched them. And, you know, I uh, went to one gig. And uh, great musicians, very talented. But this guy, he, he is a great singer, good, good guitarist, great, great. Um, he's, he's up and coming. You'd know a couple of his songs. Uh, they'd be in the charts when you might. And, um, and he finished every song. And everyone clapped. And he went, <sighs> like this. And I went, oh, that's interesting. And then he did it again, second song. And he was jumping around and going, yeah, come on. And I thought, this guy, 
It's just getting a bit overexcited. <laughs> you know. And then he did it again and again. And every time finished the, the crowd were going wild and he was going, you know, love me, love me. And I just pointed it out to the kids afterwards. I said, this guy, the power's gone to his head. The power's gone to his head. So easy to see. Um, Apollos in the New Testament was one of Paul's co-workers, a Jew named Apollos, who came from Alexandria and uh, came to Ephesus. He was a learned man with a thorough knowledge of the scriptures. And yet he had been instructed in the way of the Lord. There's a little point there. is that this man came as a learned man with a thorough knowledge of the scriptures. And yet he wasn't, he was, he wasn't afraid to, to learn from others. He was eloquent and competent. And yet he was willing to learn. He was teachable. Always ready to learn. And the question for us is how teachable are we? How flexible is our attitude? You know, it can be really easy to work our way up, particularly if you've been in a role a long time, where you are the one with all the experience and the authority, and people come to you and they say, do you know what, how do you do that, and can you help me with this? And that's great, it's brilliant to be able to help people. But sometimes, if we're not careful, we get comfortable in that position, and we just really enjoy sharing our wisdom with people, and having people look up to us, and we kind of become less and less teachable. I've been encouraged as a leader, never, ever stop learning. Never stop learning. Always find people who are further ahead on the journey. A friend of mine, Andrew, when we were like in our late 20s and we had little kids, he would always have people around. And if they were older, he would absolutely pump them full of questions. He'd be like, so your kids have turned out all right. What do I need to learn? He'd say, how do you keep going uh, of being a believer you know, and passionate for God despite having you know, setbacks and difficult times in your... And he would just pump these older folks full of questions because he really wanted to learn. How do, you, how do you finish well? How do you stay passionate for God? I heard this great quote. If you're the wisest person in the room, you need to go find a bigger room. You know? Don't ever let it get to the point where you're the one who knows everything. Teachable is a character quality. And when God is looking for leaders, he values character far above overgifting. There's a whole list in 1 Timothy. So in your context, what does humility look like? Who are you learning from in whatever it is that you're called to do? Who is teaching you? Who is investing in your life? Let's talk about self-limitation or power held back. Creative power that deliberately holds back from doing the things for the wrong reasons. Power that says, just because I can, I'm not going to. You know, Jesus deliberately does this a number of times, doesn't he? In the wilderness, he's tempted by the devil. You're really hungry. You haven't eaten for days. Turn these stones into bread. You can do it. Jesus says, no. And the Pharisees say to him, come on, Jesus, show us who you are. Show us a miraculous sign. Just, you know, you, you, all these people say you're the son of God. Come on, you could do this. And he says, no. Even at his arrest in the garden, when the soldiers come to take him away, the disciples show up. Uh, the disciples try to fight the soldiers off, and Jesus says, no, no, no. Don't you think, he says, that I can't call on my father, and he will at once put at my disposal more than 12 legions of angels. On each of these occasions, Jesus would have been perfectly able to demonstrate power, change circumstances, but he deliberately held back because he knew there was a bigger story at work. So knowing when and when not to exercise any power or authority or influence we have is crucial. 
And John Mumford, who used to lead the vineyard movement in the UK for many years, and he did a brilliant talk on leadership and authority in leadership. He talked about the centurion who talks to Jesus, and the centurion says to Jesus, I know how authority works. It's simple. I report to somebody else, and other people report to me, and I have to do what they tell me, and they have to do what I tell them. And John Mumford said this, and he was talking in a teaching session. He said, as the leader of this movement, I do expect to be obeyed. And we all went, what? Can't talk like that. He said, I have the authority to ask people to do something, and I do expect that they would do it. And then he says, I would never demand it, and I would never speak like that. But I do have the authority. And it's really interesting because it kind of taps into structural versus spiritual authority. You know, there's a difference between having structural authority. In other words, I have a role, therefore I have the ability to tell you what to do. And spiritual authority, which is to do with the way that we carry the power that we have. You know, any leader can pull rank on someone below them and order them about. I mean, I guess it happens in the army a lot. You know, but any, any, you know, at some point you can always say, "Hey, I am in charge of you, and you need to do this now." But any wise leader knows that you don't make those calls very often. Okay, and you know, in your world, you might not use the phrase spiritual authority, but you know what I'm talking about. It's widely acknowledged that the most effective way to exercise any authority we have is to earn the trust of the people that we're leading. This basically comes down to the way we go about relating to them, how we invest in their lives, like Remco in his Ikea store. You know, Joe and I came six years ago to the church here to lead the church, and we came in as the, um, with, with, with structural authority. You know, we came and they gave us the title, you're going to be the senior pastors here. And so as the senior pastors, we could expect for people to do what we say, just by virtue of the role and the title that we carried. But we knew that that really wouldn't mean much unless we actually just sat about trying to earn the respect and the trust of the people who were here. And so as such, we spent a lot of time trying to do that, build relationships, get to know people, hang out, pray for people. And as we did that, people then began to recognize our spiritual authority and give us their followership. The army might call this winning hearts and minds. So just because we have the power, we don't have to use it. Power needs to be exercised carefully, and self-limitation is crucial in that. What power do you have that you are holding back on? Where are you deliberately, or where is God inviting you to deliberately not use the power that you have? Another of the signs of spiritual power is joy, or power that celebrates. There's a story in Acts 3 about how Peter and John were going to the temple and they met this lame guy. If you grew up in church or in Sunday school, you'll know the story because there's a song about it. Peter and John went to pray. I can't go the whole thing. But anyway, Peter heals this guy. This guy who's been, healed, who's been lame all his life is instantly healed. And what was his response? It says he went walking and leaping and praising God. Or jumping, it says in the Bible, actually. Sorry. Um, the spontaneous act of a lame man who's just encountered the living God was to praise him and to celebrate. And we are made to praise God, to express joy. There's always something to celebrate. His mercies are new every morning. We used to know a guy in Birmingham, um, an African pastor. His name was Tambwe Mawenza. 
and he led um, a small congregation of Africans, most of whom had sought asylum into the UK. And I would go to their meetings sometimes, and they went on a long time, I tell you. But um, the first thing they would do is they'd get up and they'd start to pray. And one of the first prayers that they would pray is just, thank you, God, that we are alive today. Thank you, Lord, that I've lived today. And I remember thinking, gosh, that's a bit extreme. And then I got to know them, and I found out that actually it was a very real possibility from their stories that they wouldn't necessarily have made it to that day. For every breath. No matter how bad a situation seems or is, there's always something to praise God for. And joy is a mark of carrying the power and authority of God. And I'm not talking about superficial, bubbly joy that just denies the challenging times and the grief and pretends that everything's fine. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about deep, rich, inner joy that comes from knowing God. That comes from knowing knowing sorrow and knowing grief, yes. Knowing hard times and knowing that God is with us and choosing to still raise our eyes and to raise our hands and to raise our hearts towards heaven and choosing to trust even though we don't know. Where can that joy be found? Psalm 16 says, it's found in the presence of God. You fill me with joy in your presence. You know, some people, many of us, we have really difficult times and some of us react by backing off from church or by backing off from people. Or, you know, everything goes quiet. Backing off from community. You know, I've noticed that some people just come less or they stop coming altogether. Or when they do come, they hang around the edges of church and don't really engage. It feels too powerful to come into God's presence. Maybe they're angry with God, but to me that's really counterintuitive. Because for me, if I'm struggling, the best place I can be is right in the centre of God's presence. Which sometimes means making an active decision to come forward, to put myself in the centre of things, to choose to worship God despite my circumstances. And those who carry spiritual power, authority and influence will be found in God's presence, regardless of the circumstances, and will know that deep inner joy. So how's that for you today? How is that for you today? What are you celebrating today? What is God inviting you to celebrate I'll talk about vulnerability I realise it's a bit of a whistle stop tour this This, by the way I forgot to tell you this material comes from or some of this material comes from a book by Richard Foster called Money, Sex and Power I thought these were very helpful these little keys he calls them the marks of spiritual power I changed the word to signs but anyway vulnerability is power that admits weakness you see people who bear the marks of spiritual power are not afraid to deliberately choose a position that looks to human eyes like powerlessness. Ultimately, that's what Jesus chose to do. You know, he was born in a stable, for goodness sake. His first bed was an animal feeding trough. He lived a simple, submitted life among straightforward, everyday people, died on a wooden cross, the death of a common criminal. (laughs) Nothing says Messiah and glory like that, does it? (laughs) Or does it? Nothing apparently glorious or Messiah-like. Jesus' whole life bore the marks of vulnerability. And yet his perceived weakness was ultimately the source of his greatest power. Namely his death on the cross. Now for those of you who uh, like to read theology, I'm just going to give you a quote from a guy called Jürgen Moltmann. Watch the double negatives here. I think this is very powerful. God is not greater 
than he is in this humiliation. He's talking about Jesus, his life and his death on the cross. God is not greater than he is in this humiliation. He's never more glorious than he is in this self-surrender. God is not more powerful than he is in this helplessness. And he's not more divine than he is in this humanity. The nucleus of everything that Christian theology says about God is to be found in this Christ event. Everything about God's power can be summed up in this vulnerability. Paul puts it like this in 1 Corinthians. The message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. Sorry, I jumped ahead. The message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it's the power of God. You know the story of the prodigal son? It's a really well-known story. It could also be called the story or the power of the powerless almighty father. Because the, the father in the story of the prodigal son chooses not to dominate, not to control, but just to wait patiently for his son's return in meekness and weakness and vulnerability. Those of you who like the website TED will know that there are, uh, it's, a, it's a website with all sorts of different talks and lots of information on. And uh, among the top five viewed TED talks of all time is a talk by a lady called Brené Brown on vulnerability. She says this, is, vulnerability is the core of shame and fear and our struggle for worthiness. But it appears that it's also the birthplace of joy of creativity, of belonging and love. And she's talking about learning to embrace our vulnerability, not being embarrassed when we make mistakes, not trying to live up to something that we can't be. You know? There's incredible freedom there. And uh, I loved, I've loved this verse for many, many years. 2 Corinthians 12. I never can remember where it is. I always have to look it up. But it says, My grace is sufficient for you because my power is made perfect in weakness. God's power made perfect in our weakness. I wonder when the last time you were really vulnerable was. I wonder when the last time that you got up and admitted your weakness or your mistakes. Apologise for being an idiot. <laughs> Apologise for screwing up big time. What does vulnerability look like in your world? Let's look at submission. Or the power that yields to one another. See, Despite having access to incredible supernatural power, Jesus was most definitely submitted to his Father. It says in John 5 that the Son can only do what he sees the Father doing. And this passage comes after a story where there's a, a man the pool of Bethesda who Jesus goes in and heals. Now this pool is a funny pool because people seem to think it has magical powers. And people sometimes seem to get healed there. But there are hundreds, not hundreds, many sick and disabled people waiting around this pool. Hoping to sort of shuffle in when the water's stirring. It's weird because Jesus goes in there but he only heals the one guy. And people say, well why does he do that? And the truth is, I can't really explain it other than to say, Jesus only did what he saw the Father doing. And sometimes that can feel like a mystery. But then let's remember, who's in control here? Who's on the throne or who's driving the car? Who's leading here? There is power in exercising the gifts of the Spirit, just as we have done today. But there's also incredible power in submission. Submission to God's Word, submission to the Holy Spirit, submission to one another. Ephesians 5 says, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. 
And Richard Foster puts it beautifully like this. I think I've put his quote on here for you. Oh, hello, we've gone. Can you move it forward for me? There we go. Um, Submission is power because it places us in a position in which we can receive from others. We're impoverished people indeed if our world is narrowed down to ourselves. But when with humility of heart we submit to others, vast new resources open for us. When we submit to others, we have access to their wisdom, their counsel, their rebuke and their encouragement. So simply my question today is who are you submitted to? Whose opinion are you always ready to listen to? And who have you given permission to speak into your life? It's really important to do that. Who have you given permission to and said, you know what, I just want you to tell me if you think that I'm making a mistake. I just want you to have the freedom to speak to me if you see things in my life that you don't think match up to the standards that we share. And lastly, freedom. Power that sets people free. Jesus used his power to set people free. He brought freedom to the captives. He enabled the lame to walk and the blind to see the powers of darkness to be defeated. You know, injustice happens when those who have the power use it not to set people free, but to exploit the powerless. Injustice happens when our systems trap people, not free them. When people are trapped by systems or corruption, basically it comes down to greed and selfishness. And in his society where so many people were ready to ride roughshod over the poor and ignore their needs, Jesus never did. He never exploited the poor. He loved and cared for them. In Matthew 12, 20 says, A bruised reed he will not break, and a smouldering wick he won't snuff out. And those who know that we are loved by God, and who are called to exercise power, authority and influence in our society, well, we are freedom people. It's kind of like a badge that we wear. We're here to do what Jesus did, which is to set the captives free, not to bring hope, sorry, to bring hope and life and freedom. Not to bring control or manipulation or fear, but freedom. And freedom comes from freedom. See, when we know freedom in Jesus, we can bring freedom to others, right? If you know that Jesus has set you free, you're empowered to bring freedom to others. So if hurt people hurt people, and loved people love people, surely as well, we can say that free people free people. So how free are we? What areas of our life still feel bound up? How is our freedom expressed in our own lives? and the lives of those that we live and work and hang out around? How are we bringing freedom to those who we have power or authority or influence over? Whether it's your kids or your marriage partner, whether it's your friends or your work colleagues, or yourself. I was just looking up and this morning I found this slide with a definition of empowerment. To empower somebody is to equip them with an ability or to enable them to give power to, to give authority to, to invest with power. You see, freedom frees, and love loves, and power empowers. 
And if those of us who have encountered God's power and love and freedom, we are in the best position to go out and change the world. To exercise freedom, love and power in the lives of everybody we meet. We can do it through our money. We can do it through our relationships. And we can just do it in our lives, the people we're around. So today is a day for empowerment. Why don't we stand together? Now you can take home that sheet and study it and have a think for yourselves at a later date. But I just feel like God wants to do some stuff now. So why don't we just give ourselves over to the Holy Spirit and open up to his word again. So up to his Holy Spirit, we love you and we welcome you. And we want to be freedom people. Those who know we are loved and freed. We want to be love, freedom, empowering people. So come, come and minister to us, Holy Spirit. We pray. We welcome you. We welcome your presence again. We sensed you earlier in the room. Sense you now in the room. Yeah, bless you. It might be that as Nigel was speaking, one of those signs jumped out at you about how you use love or humility or vulnerability. Or it might be that one of those areas in your family or in your community or in your workplace was something that struck you. And so let's just spend a moment and, and pause, and, because God speaks to us all individually. So why don't we just ask him to focus what it is that he's saying to us individually today. And Father, we ask that you do that. Come and show us how you want us to use the power and the influence and the authority that we have well, and what that looks like for us. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you for your presence. When I was praying earlier, I was just preparing, I felt like the Lord showed me there are some of us who carry significant responsibility in our workplaces. We carry responsibility for leading multiple people, teams. It could be said that we have a lot of power. And I just felt like if that's you, that God really wanted to minister to you and bless you. This isn't, today isn't any kind of criticism, it's just an encouragement to go back before God and say, how am I carrying that stuff? But we would love to bless you if that's you, if you're somebody who carries significant responsibility, maybe you're a manager or a leader in your workplace. Maybe you have other people that report to you. And if that's you, in a minute I'm going to offer invite you people several people just to come to the front and respond and if that's you come and we'd love to pray for you mm. yeah and there are others who carry significant responsibility in family life maybe you're a mum or a dad and you're just trying to bring up your kids and you're struggling in that area and trying to get that right we all know the tensions of that and maybe I just think that maybe there are a few of us, one or two here, who God really wants to speak to about that today. I mean, not just every parent, although we'd love to pray for anybody, but you're somebody who's.